From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell and Greg Hughes. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 119 with guest Mark Manassi, recorded Monday, July 17th, 2009. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow the boys on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you very much. This is Richard Campbell. You're listening to Run As Radio. With me, as always, my host, Greg Hughes. Hey, how you doing? I am well, sir. And I have an email. Actually, we have a bunch of emails stacked up, but I thought I'd drag it out today and uh, and read a few of them. And unfortunately, we don't have Run As mugs. You know, 120 shows later, we still don't have... I've got to do something about that. I think <laughs> my summer project is going to be get a Run As mug and start sending them to folks who send us emails. Anyway, let me read you this one. Uh, Hi, Greg and Richard, and I love that he listed your name first. (laughs) I've just completed a single sign-on unified password management project for a customer. The project included 600-plus users and 15 different major company-wide systems and roughly the same number of department-level specific applications. Mm -hmm. It was a challenge, but the unified login and password management system is a dream compared to the nightmare that it was before. Oh, yeah. As Greg is a security geek... He should have some interesting thoughts around my question or ideas for a show, or perhaps he's already got a silver bill solution. My thought goes around the next step past unified password management, which is unified rights management. How can this be done? Are there products out there to let you retrofit third-party applications with unified rights management across the company? Or is this the last holy grail of the IT department? Today, in many larger IT departments, it's nearly impossible to know exactly who has access to what, especially fun, when you get to the task of creating a user just like an existing user without missing something. Regards, Matthias Carlson. And it looks like he's from Sweden. Thanks for your email, Matthias. Uh, Greg, you're on the spot, man. Well, you know, um, sorry, there's no such thing as a silver bullet. It just doesn't happen. Right. Um, right rights management in third-party applications you know, I no, there is no one answer to all that, at least not that I know of. Um, and uh, would that be a holy grail? Well, it wouldn't be the holy grail, but it would certainly be it would be a holy grail. Um, that's a tough one. You know, I, it, it's hard. Like, like you said, it's hard enough just doing, you know, unified uh, identity, right? Uh, there's been a lot of products that have come out recently to do unified identity, but but uh, rights management, you know, it, it really has to be supported inside the application. So as more and more applications, as we've seen, support things like you know authorization, not just authentication identity, but authorization rights, um, and tie that into some of the common identity stores, the unified identity stores, then more and more of that becomes available. I th- you know, I throw my developer hat on this problem and say, you know, the dumber my code is, the better off we are from a rights management perspective. If I just try and get to the file, then you get to use ACLs to decide who has rights to that. And you can set up your own groups to set those rules up and so forth. But then I have to write my code to deal with the fact that sometimes when I go to get the file, I'm going to get denied and I shouldn't crash my app. Sure. Yeah, I, I think about things like uh, uh, what is it? Geneva? I think it's called. It's yes. the you know a uh, Microsoft's uh, sort of open standards, uh, uh, you could say, based sort of approach to doing identity. Um, 
and and I know people that are doing work around. There's Geneva Server, and then there's the Geneva Framework, and the that are I know people that are leveraging Geneva Framework, and what they're doing is they're building in uh, multi-tenancy capabilities. So if you have multiple you know sets of customers or sets of internal customers that are using multiple applications. That's pretty cool. But also, you know, they're, they're building around so you have identity access and authorization, uh, uh, and tokens to handle of that and, and way to, way to assert claims and way to move that information back and forth across an enterprise of applications. Um, but the applications have to support it. You know, you still, you have to have, if you have an API where you can pass that type of information back and forth, your applications have to consume and have to know how to speak that language. Absolutely. And I also think that the other key issue here is this whole uh, actually having a good tool for managing rights, just figuring out why can't this user access X or how do I make another user that has the same privileges as this guy? What are the details of all the privileges he has? I still don't see good tooling around that. Well, you know, and there's better tools out there that do rights management, but they tend to do it in certain slices of the pie. They don't cover the entire pie, right? You know, you have rights management stuff that Microsoft has had out for a while, and it's improved over time, you know, over Office and things like that. So, you know, if, if you get into certain certain areas, you know, some of the document management type of systems that are out there that work really well. But the question really went to, you know, well, how could, is there something that I can just sort of magically make work in all applications? What's the silver bullet? Or this is really isn't a silver bullet. This would be more like pixie dust right now. Right. Um, and it, it just doesn't exist. So the answer, Matthias, is, yeah, you're right. It's hard and it's not going to get easier anytime soon. And well, the answer is it's, it's not going to get easier anytime soon. Uh, it's, it's hard, but you know, Matthias, you know, Go make it happen, man. Because <laughs> he's right. You know, this is something that we need, right? Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm sure there's smart people working on this. The question is, who's going to come up with that creative idea that really makes it happen? It makes a difference. All right, let's talk to our guest. When Mark Manassi attended his first lecture about computers in 1973, he learned two things. First, computers are neat. And second, many technical people are very nice folks, but they can put you to sleep in an instant while explaining technical things. Mark transformed those two insights into a career, making computers easier and more fun to understand. He's done that by writing over a thousand popular computer columns, several dozen best-selling technical books, and explaining operating systems and networking to crowds from two to 2,000. Awarded favorite technical author by Cert Cities four times out of four, Mark is best known for his Mastering Windows Server and Complete PC Upgrade and Maintenance books, both of which have seen more than 12 editions and sold over a million copies. An audience member at a recent talk remarked that he believed that Mark Manassi could do a talk on watching paint dry, and that would be so good that people would be motivated to go home and paint a wall just to experience the joy of watching paint dry. While this has led to several tempting offers from Sherwin-Williams, he's decided to stay with his first and best love, technology. Welcome, sir. Welcome. It's an awfully long bio. I got to get it down to like two sentences, you know? Yeah, I could have just said, <laughs> hey, it's Mark Manassi and we'd be done, right? Uh, no, no, no. I, I hope that, that that famous one day. You know, that was that was really why I started writing books. I always felt like writing books would make me famous, you know? Right. And so my first book, Inside OS 2 1.0, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, let, let's be clear, you know, it, it swept the market. Both users bought it. Yes. Um, but it didn't make my name the household word that I hoped for. So then I, I, I set my sights a little lower. I thought, you know, if I could just be micro-famous, if you took like a million geeks off the street, one of them knew my name. That would be me, micro-famous. I've since soared 
to millifame. I figure one out of a thousand geeks knows my name, <laughs> and I'm creeping towards centifame. So you know, I, I, it might just be that I could, it just take me that take me now, Jesus. It just doesn't get any better, you know. Yeah, but bit by bit, and the uh, the interesting challenge of of actually presenting technical content in a way that works for people. Something that you're no stranger to doing, Richard. Huh? You know, I don't know if the listeners know this, but uh, I was a tech ed last uh, July. I, where was it? May. Tech it was May. May. Yeah. And I was going to be in this room, and I thought, well, I'll get in early because you never have. You may have to chase some speakers off the podium. And who was there? But our host, Richard Campbell, doing a gosh darned technical talk about how to uh, fix broken web servers and stuff. I mean. I, you know, who knew? I thought he was just a pretty face, but um, <laughs> but now now we know better. Oh, it was my death of a web server talk, and it, it it all came from that whole. I've got these mini servers that I can bring with me and set up on the stage, and then I just bury the web server under load, and then show how we fix the failure. And yeah, it was about an hour of iterating through load tests and debugging and finding caching problems and all that good stuff. It was a lot of fun. No, very uh, very very chewy, very nitty gritty stuff quite delightful yeah the uh, audience had a good time yeah that's right i forgot you were sitting in the back corner there and came up oh. afterwards because i was getting off the stage because you know the next guy was pushing me off the stage uh, you know you have to do that so people start like you know, collecting cards and that sort of thing and saying, take it outside take it outside it's yeah, my it's stage now long yeah it's my turn and, and that heard... that turned out to be a successful talk it was the third most popular out of 454 talks which talk was that my, believe it or not <laughs> uh i actually got that wrong I had the second most popular and the fourth most popular talk among my other talks, and they were both about UAC. I consider that a personal, you know, if you can get three out of the top ten, you know, in at TechEd, that's good. But if two of them are about user account control, if you can make people like user account control, I feel that that's, you know, that's something for, few have done. You know? But that beats out paint drying as a topic. You're downright cruel, Richard. Uh, UAC's just got a bad name. It's like Vista. That's sort of what I've been doing for the last few. Last, I, I realized that for the last three years, I've been adopting homeless people uh, software. You know? <laughs> Vista. I, I'm the only one that likes Vista. You know, so, UAC. Yeah. So what about you? Know, speaking of Vista, um, it's pretty clear that uh, Microsoft has thrown Vista under the bus and. Uh, to make room for Windows 7. So are you hacking around with Windows 7 just yet? Oh, absolutely. The RC is lovely. Yeah. And, and and as we're recording this, I think the RTM is imminent. It's any day now. Yeah, we're speaking, uh, what, on July, uh, the, what did it say, 13th. Right. And uh, there was a rumor that it might come out today. I've been on the boards, and I haven't seen it yet. There was a rumor that I then uh, just read on some site that there's some Russian Microsoft site that said that partners will get on the 24th of July. So I, I, uh, hmm. I, 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 can't, I can't wait. I went out and spent a few grand for a new server because uh, I was going to move my web servers from server 2003 to server 2008, but then I looked at R2. I mean, R2 is just, isn't it astounding? I'm, I don't know if you agree about this, but when you look from 2003 to 2008, they had five years to do stuff. Right. And sure, there are definite improvements in 08 versus 03, but, you know, there's almost nothing that makes me say, oh, got to have that, you know? Um, because, which is funny because I expected server core and RODCs would be really big. And so I spent a lot of time studying that and picking it apart and figuring out what I could figure out that others hadn't figured out yet. And they both been a real, you know, real downers because people tell me they like the idea of server core, but the lack of a GUI 
has upset a lot of people because, uh, you know, with servers, sometimes you get these strange uh, quad Ethernet boards and that sort of thing. Yeah. And in order to control those things, you need the GUI tool that comes from the vendor, the HPs, the Dells, or whomever. And those guys don't run on ServerCorp, which means your only other option is to get the WMI provider for it and sit down and write your own scripts to configure it, which is, you know, about as much fun as you can have with your clothes on. And so uh, people have been skipping ServerCorp for that reason. And RODCs turned out to be a big loser as well, because you, you tell people what they do and they say, oh, that sounds good. And you say, well, an RODC can be a global catalog server, but... Um, Oh, it's not a good enough global catalog server to serve Exchange, and that's when people change the subject. So it's it's huh. it's interesting. I see people rolling out 08, but I don't see them, you know, really stampeding to do it. And what's interesting is that what have we got? Like about a year and a quarter, year and a quarter, year and a half later, then uh, Server 2008 R2 comes out, and I think it's the better value proposition. It seems to me like the, the 03 to 08 was, was fewer go- uh, goodies. Than 08 to 08 R2. Well, aren't we getting the standard sort of scenario that Microsoft does where they do this, he- the heavy lifting, that five-year run of changing a lot of the underlying infrastructure, new network stack, new video stack, like really core stuff. And then when they finally ship it, it's got no paint on it. You know, it's just, it's kind of ugly. But the next version that comes along is the pretty one. So sort of like Windows 3 versus 3.1. And, uh, you know, AD's got some, some, some cool stuff. I, actually, I want to get to that, but, but before we leave Windows 7, I have to, I, I'm sorry, I can't resist doing this. I like Vista for the very reason that you just quoted about Server 2008. I'm not a narrow glass guy. I don't even understand what the idea of narrow glass was. I don't use a Mac. My guess is that, that some ideas that they ripped off from the Mac, you know? Right. And I just look at it and I say, hmm. All it does is run my, my graphic, graphical uh, processing unit at about 200 degrees, you know. Yeah, I don't see the, the value of it. But there's a ton of under-the-hood things, changes to the services architecture, for example. I mean, the Vista services, Vista and later services architecture is just so much better. Uh, people say to me, you know, what, what would going to Vista or Windows 7 do under the hood? And one of them is, you know, when they built XP, Virtually every workstation had one core, one processor. That was hyper-threading, but that was on the expensive processors. You know, nowadays, I don't think you can buy a computer without two cores at least. And because Windows 7 and Vista, and XP for that matter, can theoretically support up to eight cores, that's as far as they'll go, try it on an XP box. And you're going to see that, you know, one or two cores are doing all the work and almost nothing else is being done. Do that with Windows 7 or Vista, though, and wow. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm wondering. You know, once we start seeing the quad core laptops, will that end up being the, uh, I guess, the killer app that makes people go out, go out and buy, you know, something other than the XP. But it's funny. I've been saying that I like Vista for a few years, again because of the under the hood stuff, and, and I guess the other thing that's important about it is, you know, when Microsoft built XP, if you think about it, they're building this thing in what ninety nine, two thousand around there, and sure there were threats, but the average malware threat in the late nineties was sort of what? It was just people trying to build a reputation, just, you know, jerks sitting in their parents' basement, popping their pimples, wishing they had a girlfriend, you know, and writing some piece of malware that would infect several million machines so they can impress their other friends that live in their parents' basements and pop their pimples <laughs> and wish they had girlfriends. And, but as you, as you know, and as everyone listening to this knows, the game's changed, right? I mean, now it's about money. Uh-oh, you know, what greater motivator is there yeah. in, in the human world? And uh, I think that the, 
the bad guys have gotten a lot better at being bad guys in the 2000s. And Vista really was the first of a, of a, a bunch of operating systems that had a kernel built from the get-go to understand that the Internet is a very, very, very scary place. And if you don't believe me, um, think about when Blaster came out in 2003. If you recall, there was this period of time when Blaster was just running around the Internet. It was like about a year and a half, I think, before it mostly died. But if you recall, did you ever try to install XP on a new machine that you had accidentally left plugged into the Internet? It was like you would be infected before you even got the operating system installed. Yeah, yeah, you could, you couldn't patch it fast enough. The the time it took to download the service pack was longer than your infection rate. Right, and 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 there is. But when I tell that story, the reason that I'm I'm doing that to to put out that things are different. I wonder how many people are shaking their heads and saying, "Well, what idiot would install an operating system on a computer that's connected to the internet?" I mean, right now it's common sense that it's foolish to do that. Yeah. But it wasn't in 2003. That's that's how much worse things are. So that was the first of the spate of operating systems that I think understand that the world is a big, scary place. But as you know, uh, Vista got um, some minorly negative press. Minorly. Minorly. And what I find interesting about it is the very same people that hated Vista are loving Windows 7. And Windows 7, I mean, I like it. I hate to torpedo it, but Windows 7 is basically Vista version 1.2. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But it really is. It's just a retuned version of Windows, but they did the right tunings. You're not going to tell me Windows 7 is faster on the same box as Vista? Because I keep hmm. hearing that. And then I have to look people in the eye and say, do you have a real benchmark on that? And I say, uh, well, it, uh, it uh, feels like it's, uh, yeah. it's all marketing. <laughs> well, I think that's part of it. I think it's part of it. But I also think that they've done a better job of using multiple cores and of keeping the the foreground worker process responsive, except for Outlook. You can't save Outlook. I got a whole hmm. core dedicated to just Outlook, and it's still making me wait. And you know what's astounding? Uh, I'm running what Outlook 2007, <clears throat> and it's it's amazing to me that it is 2007. It's Microsoft writing this, and it's still single threaded. <laughs> I have I have three different email accounts, and so when I fire up Outlook, I you know how that works. You got to you know click one, click one folder, or click another folder, or whatever. It goes out and synchronizes the data, and it just sits mm -hmm. there and does nothing for a while. I mean, the words that I most often see after Outlook is not responding. Yeah, and uh, you'd think someone at the the office team, somebody could maybe Resinovitz could send them an email that says, "Have you guys ever heard of multi-threading? <laughs> if you could, if you could have it sync up, I don't know, different folders at the same time, or you know." Don't make me wait for the calendar. I just want to see the calendar. Anyway, that's the end of my rant there. Yeah. I, mean, I, I would point out that when I pull up Task Manager, Outlook has about 60 threads going. Uh, well, yes, yes, absolutely. You know, if you pull up like Post Explorer or something like that. But it certainly behaves in a single-threaded manner is yes. what I'm saying. There's, uh, certainly it is possible to have many threads. But if the input is all spinning on a particular one, then you're essentially single-threaded as, you know, as far as us. Um, carbon-based life forms are concerned. It's definitely effectively single-threaded. Right, right. So um, <clears throat> Windows 7, that's cool. Let's talk about some R2 stuff. I think, uh, you know, in 2008, the big thing was going to be RODCs, but that went nowhere. Right. And so the question for 2008 is, 2008 R2 is, what's going to be the RODC <laughs> of 2008 R2? I think it's going to be Active Directory Undelete, because possibly the coolest feature in Server 2008 R2 is the ability, when you've 
accidentally deleted a user. Yeah, accidentally. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and you, and you know, or an OU or something like that, an organizational unit full of users. Then uh, now you just run this command line tool, and you can undelete all of those users in twinkling. Uh, and that's that's pretty cool sounding stuff. But I think the reason that it's going to be end up being the RODC of 2008 R2 is because for some reason Microsoft has. Uh, I think they regret this now, but they made us all fear touching the schema, the structure of the Active Directory. Oh yeah, back in the day, for sure. And every time you go to a a new forest functional level or something along those lines, or a domain functional yep. level, or when you start incorporating domain controllers from different versions of server, then you've got to go mess with the schema. I have never seen anybody ever among their schema. I mean, I the way I make a lot of my money is I consult on Active Directory for organizations large and small, and I've never seen anybody screw up their schema. And yet we have this fear of going to, you know, adding, making changes to a to the schema, making changes to the domain structure and so on. So I think it's going to be people, because it's a sounding, um, will you help people out? Have you seen anyone go to 2008 domain functional level yet? No. No, everybody's still got at least one 2003 server in their life. Okay, let's take a step further. What percentage of your clients are still at 2000 for a functional level? I don't think I have very many that actually have a 2000 that are still, they've upgraded everything at that point. Is it mostly? No, 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 no argument there. I know a fair number of people who they don't have any 2000 domain controllers. Right. They've only got 2003 and up, but they haven't gone to 2003 domain functional level. Oh, I see. Because the boss says it might break something and it's not reversible. Right. So for the people that don't understand, why don't you explain real quick the difference between 2000 and 2003 functional levels? Oh, thanks, Greg. Um, so the idea is that Active Directory first came out in Windows 2000, which eponymously arrived in the year 2000. And I've been looking all day for the chance to use the, use the word eponymous, by the way. And um, so <laughs> when you <laughs> – there were NT4 domains before that. And, of course, an NT4 domain was radically different than a 2000-based Active Directory. And so you could start out kind of being half and half, where you'd have some of your domain controls running NT4 and some of them running Windows 2000. You wouldn't get yeah. all of Windows 2000's uh, chocolatey goodness if you had any NT4 domain controllers. But right. you know, some some of us like to do this slowly. And so the notion was that when you finally shot that last NT4 domain controller in the back of the head, then you could then you know, have a little party and pop the champagne. And say to your system, system, there's no more NT4. So let's get rid of that NT4 badness and let's just bring mm -hmm. out the wonderful creamy go goodness of Active Directory on Windows 2000. And that was called going from mixed mode to native mode. I'm thinking to myself, native mode, what right? is the next word? Real mode? No, it was real mode. <laughs> native mode. When 2003 came out, 2003 offered probably about a dozen large and small improvements to Active Directory. Right. About Two-thirds of them you wouldn't get until you went to 2003 entirely. Obviously, if it's going to be a function that only a 2003-based domain controller can do, you have to have all of your domain controllers at 2003. Right. And then once you've done that, you flip a switch that says, okay, my domain is now in 2003 domain functional level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I liked mixed and native myself, but... Microsoft decided that that was too clear, and so uh, now they're called domain functional levels. <laughs> I, well, I, I really like the idea of real of was it the, of, of mixed mode, native mode, and Whistler super native mode. That was sort of like the internal 
uh, name for that. Anyway, so what's happening is that people have these 2003 domain controllers, and it's not, they have nothing but 2003 domain controllers, maybe some 2008s. And there's no reason why they can't say to their domain, domain, I don't, I don't know if you've noticed, but there are no 2000 boxes anymore, because it doesn't happen automatically. People get twitchy about it, because there's a general feeling that, oh, it might break something, we just don't know. And another thing about it is, it's like many things in Active Directory. I like AD, but one of the things I don't like about AD is that sometimes it seems like everything in Active Directory should have a sound effect, where you push the button, and you should hear the sound of a heavy door slamming shut and a bolt sliding in place. <laughs> and there's just, um, I, I think that's what scares people. But it's it's a shame. It is a shame because uh, I I would be willing to bet that if we surveyed a thousand active directories from different size companies, I think uh, at least a quarter of them would still be on 2,000 domain functional level, even though they could easily go to 2,003 domain functional level or uh, 2008. Because we went from NT, that was mixed, to native, which was 2000, to domain functional level 2003, that was the Super Whistler native mode. And yeah. there's another, yet Super, Super, Super Whistler native mode that would come with all 2008, and then yet another one if we go to all 2008 R2. I'm just breathless thinking about it. So what's the really, really cool chocolatey goodness that you get in native mode 2008 R2 that people should actually care about? The the single biggest one has to be Active Directory on delete. If all of your domain controllers get shot up to 2008 R2, then that's only step one, by the way. Then you can turn on undelete. You have to turn on undelete, otherwise you don't get the benefits of it, which is odd. Even if you're, uh-huh. even if all your systems are 2008 R2, and even if you've set yourself to 2008 R2 domain functional level, you don't get the undelete till you turn it on. And you can't turn on the undelete until you are at 2008 R2 functional level. And uh, once you do that, that if you delete, let's say, an organizational unit full of people, then you can undelete it. It's not the smartest thing in the world in the sense that you first have to undelete the organizational unit. That's one step. Then you can go back and say, oh, now that I've undeleted the organizational unit, I have to go in and say, by the way, let's do a one big loop. There's a one-liner you can do. I will say, grab all the things you find in that OU that are deleted and undelete them. So a little bit of an annoying part is if you were to do something really dumb, like delete an OU, an organizational unit that has an organizational unit in it, that has an organizational unit inside of it, and you want to undelete all that, it's a multi-step process because you've got to go down to the bottom level and start undeleting things by hand. So delete Uh, a container, and then you can get whatever objects are in that container, even if those objects are other containers, right? Okay. And the other thing that's interesting about it is Microsoft seems to love, they have this new thing where they like to hide their, hide their, their light under a bushel. And what I mean is, in 2008, you could, 2008, not 2008 R2, in 2008, arguably, the, maybe the coolest thing about a 2008 domain functional level Active Directory wouldn't be RODCs, it would probably be flexible password policies. This is where I could say, I've got 200 people in my domain. I want those five guys who have a lot of power to change their passwords every three weeks. But everybody else we've locked down so they can do it every six months. And that was a kind of cool feature. However, as anyone knows who's tried to use it, it's like you have to put the mining helmet on and get your rope and go down to the cave in order to figure out how to use it. You have to use ADSI Edit which for those who don't know, it's kind of like ADSI Edit is to Active Directory as debug is to, like, your computer. It's the fastest way to destroy your computer in 
Just one second. P- pretty low-level operation type stuff there. Uh, yes, ex- ex- extremely low-level. And ADSI edit is, um, is the only way to make use of domain functional level. Yeah, I, you know, I've always compared ADSI edit to reg edit. And uh, I can't remember who came up with this quote, but it was, uh, I think it was Bill Vaughn who said, reg edit is like doing brain surgery on yourself with a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> I think of it as the fastest way to ruin your computer. Yeah. If you make a mistake, you are well and truly screwed. Like the, the, thing, the thing that scares me about ADSI edit is it's not just you're ruining the machine you're on. You go around modifying domain level uh, directory entries, you're ruining your whole domain. Replicates. Yep. It's- Absolutely true. Anyway, so so here's the here's like the best feature in, in in the world for 2008, and you have to you know you have to be a spelunker, a cave diver, in order to make the thing work. So what is arguably the best thing in 2008 R2? Well, uh, that would be the undelete. <laughs> but in order to do it, you can only do it from the command line with PowerShell. Now, I will speak no ill of PowerShell, but it is kind of scary to the to the normal human, and even to most AD administrators. So. Uh, why they didn't put a GUI on this thing is beyond me, and why they didn't make it recursive, which is the geeky word for don't make me put things back together container by container. I just don't know. Right. I just don't know. So so maybe that's the new Microsoft thing is that uh, you have to really, really, really want you know the new features in order to get them. The other thing that's kind of cool is uh, manage service accounts. Uh, some of our listeners who have big organizations – We'll sometimes we'll know that uh, sometimes when you're running certain services, certain network-based programs, mm-hmm. then of course those things are services in the Windows sense of programs that run whether you're logged in or not. They they kind of run in the background. They don't run as you. They run as someone else, and they right. typically run as system, which is just the name for the local local authority, the the machine that they're running on. There are times though that you have to run one of them, one of these services, not based on a local account but instead based on a domain account. You do this for security reasons or a number of other kinds of things. Sure. Happens a lot. I know I've run an IT organization where we had lots and lots of service accounts, especially when you had things like a lot of test automation and a lot of development environments going on. Uh, it, it was pretty much it was a necessity to be able to do things that way. This stuff couldn't run a service because if you ran it a service, it wasn't operating properly. You weren't testing right. it in a valid way. Right. So the, the so one of them is, is services, this notion that we've got some service uh, running under an account that's a domain account. The other possibility is if you have a complex website where you have lots of different application pools. Right. You can Application pools are just ways of breaking up your website so that if this part of your website dies, it won't necessarily affect the rest of the website. Or sometimes you want to put barriers between it for organizational reasons or whatever. Anyway, you can run uh, diff- these different application pools under different service accounts again. And service account in this, in this case, until R2, has just meant you go to Active Directory, you create a user that you're never going to actually log on as, and you let the service log on as that. So far, so good. What's the problem with it? <laughs> the, the answer I usually get is, now because those are regular accounts, they have to be treated like regular accounts. You've got to change the password every 42 days or whatever you set right. your password policy to. And... So the frustrating part is that means that someone's got to remember by the 42nd day to you know log on as a domain administrator, change that account password, and then go over to the server that's got a service running under that account and change that password inside the services snap-in. And if you don't do it right, that's when bad things happen. Because if all of a sudden the database server doesn't work or the website doesn't work, 
doesn't come out and say, hey, dummy, you forgot to change the password. It's something cryptic and bizarre and obscure. So what a lot of people do, none of our listeners would do something this dumb. But what a lot of people do is they just go check the box that says this password never has to change. Right. Which is, of course, a very bad idea. Um, so it's, it's, it, it's troublesome one way or the other. What Microsoft's done is they've created in Active Directory this is new kind of account called an MSA, Managed Service Account. And it's mm-hmm. kind of like a machine account, actually. Except it's almost like, you know, your computer, if it's a member of the Active Directory, has a machine account, making it a member of the domain. This is uh, an account very much like that, except you don't, you don't use it for that. You use it to run services under. So you create this Managed Service Account. You hook it up to this particular service running on this particular server and just set it and forget it. The passwords get updated automatically, and, you know, it's just, it's seamless. Even better, if you've ever hacked around with this stuff, if you ever had to troubleshoot one of these things, and I'm sure you have, Richard, because you're, the, you're a big web server guy, yeah. that if, if you go change any of those, those accounts, what have you got to do? You've got to get this tool called SetSPN, which allows you to change, a, I'm simplifying, the Kerberos name for the service. It's, it's a black art. Uh, well, what's nice about 2008 R2 in R2 domain functional level is that if any of that happens, uh, these managed service accounts will manage the changes in the SPNs, the service principal names, automatically. So it's hmm. it's quite interesting that, um, I, you know, when I start talking about Active Directory, the AD undelete is always the big crowd pleaser. But then when I mention the MSAs, managed service accounts, most people have not heard of them, but when they do... The first thought is, oh, service accounts, boring, 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 bing, and then you see the little light come over the head. The light say, bulb oh, comes on, yeah. Where can I get that? Can I have that now? <laughs> well, and it From feels... From an administrative standpoint, it's a pain. Yeah. And But it feels like these are the features that will drive you to get to that uh, 2008 R2 standard for your whole AD, just to get that chocolatey goodness. You know, again, who knows? I mean... uh to, uh, to, to paraphrase uh, a line from Wayne's World, uh, we're, we're IT people. We fear change. And uh, <laughs> I, you know, I mean, I, I can't wait for it. I just absolutely cannot wait for it because, as I was saying, I was about to move my, my uh, 03 web servers up to 08. And, of course, that's my excuse to go to 64-bit at the time. And, but then I looked, and oh, R2 was coming, and this, there's just so much good stuff. Another thing that I really like that this is more of a small operation, wonderful but it's still wonderful, is, so, you know, you guys run an operation uh, not terribly large. You perhaps have, you know, a dozen or so servers. How do you back them up? You know, it's, unless you want to spend a tremendous amount of money for a third-party backup solution that ends up costing more than the whole operating system did in the first place. Yeah. You know, what have you got? I mean, if, if you go the NT backup route, you know, where you're basically just backing up files. <laughs> Did you ever try to rebuild a 2003 server based on a handful of tapes? Yeah, yeah. Um, you're in hell. You know, it's, it's a fate worse than death, yeah. And, uh, but when Vista first came out, and I'm going to keep saying good things about Vista because I was right, damn it, it's a good operating system. <laughs> um, and eventually the world will come around and there will be apologies. Oh, yes, oh, yes. Um, but anyway, uh, seriously, it, it's got a completely different backup solution called the Complete PC Backup Solution. Now, let's be clear. This is not an idea. When I say this to a lot of our listeners, they're going to say, oh, such and such has been doing this for a long time. For example, Acronis has this great tool called True Image Workstation, Acronis, yeah. True, True right. Image Workstation right. and Acronis True Image Server. 
the Aquinas tool for the desktop is about 90 bucks or something like that. And it will mm-hmm. let you take complete backups. It can do bare metal restores. It's wonderful. I will, I will say nothing bad of it except for the fact that it costs money. Yeah, it's, it's cool software. What's that? It, it's definitely cool software. It's definitely cool software. I can't figure out though why the product is almost identical between server and workstation. The workstation version costs like 90 bucks and the server version costs $1,200. Right. I wonder what happened there. Hmm. Huh. And, <laughs> and the reason for that is because people will pay. Yes, yes indeed. So, and so, why not? So, so yeah, so, so think about this. I mean, that means that when I build a 2003 server, the first thing I do is I bite down hard and I buy a copy of TrueImage server. Because that way I know I've got backups and I could do a bare metal restore. If, if, if meteors fly in the window and smash my server to bits, if the power supply goes crazy and the thing gets set on fire, it doesn't yep. matter. I can just go to this backup and inside about 40 minutes, 40 minutes to an hour, I can have the server up and running as if it were never down. Now that's great. Sure. You know, are there better ways? Sure. You know, but I mean, I ain't got the money to build a, you know, monster VMware infrastructure and, you know, and, and stuff like that. So we have this complete PC backup, which is basically that tool, and now it's built into the server operating system. So I mean, think about it. You buy a copy of a, a standard server, which is a thousand bucks. You're essentially saving two hundred dollars, you know, because you don't have to spend the twelve hundred dollars on TrueImage server. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, I, I feel I feel for companies like Acronis that have really broken ground on this, because as Microsoft commoditizes that sort of stuff, this market's going to go away. That's an interesting question. That's a really, really good, good question. Um, because, uh, some of the guys that write those things are my friends and they're, you know, they're good people and I, but, you know, if, if you've been doing computers as long as you have, Richard, think about, you know, really what deserves to be in the operating system. I mean, I remember when I worked on IBM mainframes that, uh, there wasn't even anything, I'm simplifying, but there wasn't even anything in the operating system that would let you copy a file. Yeah. You needed to go buy a third-party product for which you were right. paying licensing fees every single year to just copy a file. So, I mean, uh, what is fair game in an operating system? I mean, I, I think that I think that effective backup and restore is a given. Yeah, I think that that effective modern right. backup and restore. This, this the same as networking itself. I mean, you, you remember we used to buy Windows without yep. the networking, and you went and bought your yep. Yep. pick. You know, go buy Banyan Vines or Novella. What am I going to network with? Yeah, people used to buy. I mean, remember the, the days of dealing with fifteen different Winsock.dlls because you had this IP uh-huh. stack or that IP stack, and yeah. Microsoft incorporated it. I so I guess I'm going to um, I'm just going to duck out of this one and say I don't know what the answer is, but I do know that while it's bad that the TCP stack vendors were damaged when Windows for Workgroups three one one came out with the Wolverine, <laughs> I love the beta names, the Wolverine TCP stack. You know, the fact is, I, I think that the world is a better place because it's in the operating system. Yeah. And uh, so, well, you know, or, or whether whether you're talking about the disk compression routines, you may recall there's a big thing. There's a tool called Stacker. Stacker. You oh, know, yeah, and uh, Microsoft cool. Incorporated, I've forgotten what they called it, Double Space? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's uh, Anyway. You know, maybe, the, maybe the ultimate measure of success for uh, third-party software is that eventually it's no longer needed because it becomes part of the operating system. That's sort of the... <laughs> you know what they say, plagiarism is the sincerest form of flattery. <laughs> exactly, yeah. All right, guys, I think we're running down on time here. Uh, Mr. Manassi, any final words? Uh, no, I just, you know, I can't wait to get my hands on the new stuff. Well, and... and- and 2008 R2, to be clear here, should be RTMing with uh, Windows 7, right? Because they're essentially the same core stack. 
so uh, our, the guess is that we're going to see the RTM sometime in July. And uh, then what happens is that, you know, that is the final stuff. That's the same thing that will appear in the shelves. But it doesn't appear on the shelves until the 22nd of October. And the reason is it takes time to print all those DVDs. And which leads to, by the way, this is an, it's an important tip. You see, those of you listening to run as radio, here's an example of why you want to listen to run as radio, because you hear things that you will not hear from anyone else. And this is the tip. The tip is, uh, my projection is, in the past, when Microsoft's come out with a new operating system, when Windows 95 came out, they actually cornered the market for three and a half, three, three half inch floppies. You couldn't buy one for love or money for several months. Yep. When, uh, I believe it was Windows 2000 came out, they actually cornered the market on CDs. So my guess is that if you're thinking you want some blank DVDs in the next month or so, go buy them uh-huh. right now because the price is about to go through the roof. <laughs> and you heard it here first. Mark, thanks very much for coming on the show. Thanks, Mark. Always a pleasure. Thanks, guys. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio. 